0: All right, we want to welcome everyone to a special episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell at the Black is Tech Conference. Each episode, we talk with leaders in tech, business, and media, and we're excited. We've got two great special guests, and I'm going to turn it over to them to let them introduce themselves. Welcome. Alex, let's start with you. Can you introduce yourself to the audience?
1: Yes. Hi, everyone who's tuning in. My name is Alex Wolf. I am a tech philosopher and also the founder of Creative Business School, which is an online business education platform for content creators who want to go full-time.
0: Awesome. That's fantastic. All right. Next guest, can you introduce yourself to the
2: audience yes. as well? Absolutely. This is Robert Collins. I'm the Director of Customer Success for Strategic Accounts at a marketing automation and measurement company called Brands Metrics, based out of California. That's awesome. Well,
0: thank you very much, Robert. Thank you, Alex. We're so excited you're here, and uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about, let's start with your career journey. We want to hear about how how that sort of started, and you have great backgrounds and have been able to do so much in the space. Alex, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started on your career journey?
1: Yeah. So I definitely got a lot of influence from my father who was in technology and definitely encouraged the use of, you know, the internet and just being an early adopter when it comes to hardware as well. And I started, you know, sort of, playing around with starting internet companies as a teen. And by the time I was about 21, one internet company took off, which was a lifestyle brand for millennial women, went viral on Instagram. And I was able to turn it into a sort of content lifestyle-based brand and learn so much about the nature of not just the internet, but of uh, media in today's time. And I got really, really fascinated and ended up selling the company so I can start pursuing more studies about tech philosophy, which is basically studying how our technology changes our environments, which changes our behavior and relationships. So I dropped out of school to to start that company. So everything I've learned has kind of been through trial and error. And and I've built my network through, you know, just making those connections online. So it's been a very interesting, at this point, almost uh, eight years now.
2: Mm, That's awesome. Robert, how about you? How did you get started? Yeah, so kind of similar to Alex as well. I was really blessed to have, you know, my mother was a CFO and worked in finance, but worked in finance in the tech space. And so worked in industries ranging from semiconductors to software to hardware to biotech. And in my career, which started in 98, I've kind of moved around in different roles and different industries as well. So started in product marketing roles and business intelligence software, and then moved into ed tech, moved into marketing automation and kind of currently working in the ad tech space as well. But that was kind of bookended by a career working primarily as a marketer, digital marketer in the music industry, as well as at a couple of tech companies as well. So it's really just kind of been a journey. That's kind of the advice I have to people is, you know, there are a lot of straight lines and there are definitely some curves and uh, windy roads as well. So just pursue the things you're really passionate about. That's the things that I've been following on my own career path. Awesome. Cool. Thank,
3: thank you for that. Thank you both for your intros there. I, I want to switch up a little bit. Let's get into marketing, right? And so let's talk diversity, equity, and inclusion. Would love to get your thoughts on the state of DEI in marketing. And Robert, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been an evolution. There's you know, ways that I look at it from the company perspective and initiatives that companies are starting to recruit to create additional pipelines, to figure out what roles make sense, to give people shots, all those kind of things. And then there's the speaking points and kind of like the you know topic de jour of diversity. And so there's a couple of ways I look at that. From a company perspective, I think in the time that we're in right now, this is probably one of the best times to be looking to make that transition because I feel like there are initiatives that are out there really clamoring for Black talent. And that's a gut feel, but also I'm, I'm really holding the mirror up to my own company and their initiatives. And I'm really happy with some of the things that we're doing to help Black founders, to help uh, students. Uh, We're reaching out to historically Black colleges and universities, which I'm an alumnus of myself. So there's a lot of things that we're doing as well. And I'm just seeing them kind of roll out. I like to be critical as well in looking specifically in the marketing space, Mm -hmm. because I work with so many creatives. And I would love to see more people working in that creative technical area, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like we drive so much of the influence on what's happening on these platforms, but how can we inform product roadmaps? How can we inform UX or UI experiences? We have all that feedback. I just want to see more folks step out and get comfortable moving into those roles as well. So, if this is a bit of a you know, a, a planting a flag and, and saying that it is possible, because I didn't come from a technical role, even though you know I had exposure to tech, you know, it's something I've been able to adopt, and I wouldn't consider myself to be quote unquote technical at all.
3: Gotcha. Okay. And then Alex would love to hear your thoughts on on the same question of the the state of DEI and marketing, but also because of your history and sort of what you're doing now as an influencer marketer and and that point about, you know, seeing more of us on screen or, or out there, I would love to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree that, you know, right now is really the best time to capitalize. And I think particularly what I'm passionate about teaching and really making clear for people who are either buying influencer marketing or producing it is that, you know, the, the distribution of your message of your product of that content is so important. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as black creatives, as black people who create media and are, you know, predominantly in charge of the most popular profitable media in our culture, that, you know, we have to start looking, reading between the lines about what that means on ownership level, on a negotiation level, and start to cut, you know, fair deals, deals that are not only working in our favor, but are at least just decent. Because, you know, as a content creator, I, I see myself as someone who is contributing to making these tech giants profitable as they are, we are creating the programming that makes it possible to sell advertisements in between them. So I think just a perspective shift is, can be really helpful because the power is already ours. And I think it's just a matter of of realizing it and capitalizing on it.
3: Gotcha. And and I want to sort of stay on that, that topic for a minute, because I think one of the things that's important in marketing and in the messaging, right, there's the entertainment aspect of it. There's the educational aspect of it. But there's also the emotional aspect and provoking emotion, right? And right now, let's just face it, in our country, right, the climate is very emotionally charged, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you, when you're, say, maybe coaching organizations, how do you speak to them about sort of making sure that they're being authentic, right, and not culture jacking or not just putting out messaging just to put it out with no real action behind it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what's so important about that, you know, especially like you said this year, we've seen a lot of flip flopping from a corporation messaging standpoint. And a lot of that is because brands aren't really clear about what their values are. Mm. And their values tend to be, you know, just like us, please. Um, and the current climate we're in, that just doesn't work. So I think that a, a brands who are listening or people who are in charge of these types of roles really want to pick a value system. And be consistent with it, because even if it doesn't align with everybody that you want, that consistency is what gives you um, the resiliency for turbulent times. Because the thing is, if you're flip-flopping, then people can't trust you. And there's already so much distrust right now on a consumer level that you don't want to risk it. So just being very clear about what your values are and consistently you know, saying that through your brand messaging and being honest about what they are. because. Like you said, you know the the whole taboo is if you know you're saying one thing, but the boardroom looks another way, then either you have to reevaluate those values or just kind of be honest about what you really stand for. so
2: gotcha, gotcha. Robert would love to hear your thoughts on that too, yeah. No, this absolutely resonates with me, but it's so funny how it's, it's my lens that I look at this from, right? Where when we're talking about that authentic connection that you're making from a brand to an individual, how you're communicating that, how it can be you know, a messaging piece that's happening on a paid platform, but then as you're communicating directly with customers via email, via push notifications, maybe if you have a mobile application, there's pop-ups and things like that. How are all those things consistent? Those are the types of platforms that I've you know, been driving and leveraging the last few years with customers, but would love for that to be something that gets done from a brand perspective to you know, diverse audiences as well. So, you know, I think you could have a press release, but what's happening from a brand perspective for all of that creative across the board for like, if we're viewing it from an omni-channel perspective, right? And how that gets communicated. So those are the things I'm really passionate about and want to see more of us in those roles so we can have a seat at the table to understand why that consistency is so important. Because I think you definitely have folks that understand how to utilize them and leverage them to drive traffic, to drive, you know, a a click to install rate or click to open rate or whatever that CTA is going to be. But how can you do it from that brand perspective and leverage that as well in your messaging for a diverse audience? Gotcha. Okay. And I want to stay
3: on that a little bit, Robert, because you're going down the sort of MarTech stack path there, right? And and let's move into sort of talking about a career in marketing, right? And, and, And both of you, just from your intros, you know, you have careers in marketing, you both have had to reinvent yourself a little bit along the way to stay relevant, right? I think that's super important. Robert, can you speak a little bit about how important it is for marketers, especially in the ad tech and martech space, to make sure that they have a great understanding of the martech stack?
2: Yeah. So marketing has really evolved, right? When I entered the space and when I was on the outside looking in, I mean, I was a pre-law major in college, right? So I really wasn't studying business, for example and it was just all about kind of what i perceived as this creative expression and you mentioned kind of the entertainment aspect and the you know the graphic design aspects and things that i still really connect to and really love but when you take that a level further and you pull back another layer or a couple of layers of the of the onion you realize that a lot of these decisions are informed based off data and how is that data stored so those are in databases and how are you able to access that data so that could be through you know different systems for what we call cdps or customer uh, data platforms that you're pulling data out of and you're analyzing it. You're creating different segments, quote unquote, of people that you want to engage. And then how are you engaging them? Well, we can talk about those kind of platforms, whether it's social campaigns, influencer campaigns, content marketing, whether that's going to be kind of an external way of looking at where you're pulling people into your platform, whether that's on mobile or web or an actual in-store experience. So that could be, again, mentioned email and push notifications. Or if they're on your platform, what are you doing to make that kind of communication more sticky? So again, how are you providing notifications? How are you personalizing, you know, purchase histories or personalizing uh, different engagements? Things that actually matter to them. Don't just, you know, present, you know, something to me that I really don't care about, right? You know, how are you able to actually use that data? And so there's a lot of, you know, information that can be sent out there, and and I'll be completely transparent and and recognize that it's not always used for good. I mean, there are a number of different documentaries and things like that that can show how some of that data can be manipulated. I think the point I'm trying to make is that. When, again, you have very clear brand messaging and, you know, you're actually serving a purpose for customers that are coming to you, understanding how that stack works is going to be key. So it's everything ranging from, again, you know, how I look at it from a data perspective, an analysis perspective, and that automated kind of messaging perspective. And those are kind of the buckets. Happy to drill down a little further, but that's how I start kind of on a high level.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Thanks for that, Robert. And and Alex, from your perspective, can you speak a little bit to the audience of the importance of influencers in marketing as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, so my strategy is way more qualitative. The way I built my first company, we didn't do any paid ads. It was all organic. Not to say that one is better than the other. That's just what I have the experience in. And I think what that experience taught me is how important it is to build obviously a community around your brand and your product if you can. I often talk about the difference in selling tangible value and intangible value. So right now our market is, you know the economy is so sophisticated that most people are getting what they need on a tangible level, all of those things. Most of those things have been commoditized and they're competing via price. So the things that people are going Google gaga over like the Travis Scott burger or the new Jordans, they all have an emotional intangible appeal that, you know, have to deal with a lifestyle, that have to deal with a community, that have to deal with a philosophy. And your brand, I do believe, needs those intangible qualities in order to be attractive either to employees and your customers, honestly, because even as employees, we've seen all this research coming in about how important it is for people to feel emotionally aligned with what their, you know, companies are are working towards. So I think that's just super important, building a culture brand building community and creating that intangible value so that there are emotions and memories associated with your product, because it's so much easier to compete that way than just trying to sell the cheapest this or the cheapest that. Bezos already beat us to that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I hear you on that. I hear you. So one more question I have for both of you here, right? You're both great at what you do, right? In, in marketing. I think that one of the keys to marketing today, especially in larger organizations, is showing the value of the marketing initiatives that you take, right? And data plays a lot into that. And How do that ties back to the overall business and business goals? And I'm curious to get both of your thoughts on how you go about accomplishing just that. And Robert, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah, no, great question. I think value is the the, the crux of my role as a customer success manager, right? And managing a team that works with uh, strategic accounts, which are some of our larger accounts and brands like the Amazons and Nikes and Ubers and so on uh, down the road. So one of the things that we try to determine from a value perspective is very upfront. We try to determine a, a key performance indicator. So what are the things that are important to that business to drive growth, to drive engagement, and how we measure that. And that tends to be something that we set as a baseline to start. And then we're looking at different events, different engagements, whether it's revenue, whether it's any kind of metric that can be measured. And then we kind of execute on that over time. Because we work with marketers as well, they have a sense of the types of campaigns they want to use. So, you know, I work a lot in paid advertising, but as Alex mentioned, we also do a lot of owned tracking as well. And then, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the paid earned own model. So we're working full circle. So we're looking at all of those perspectives and saying, okay, well, where are we able to drive effectiveness for all of those channels? So if it is, you know, a paid campaign, I think that's kind of generally a little more measurable. You can understand what you spent on it, the number of, you know, let's say if we're talking about a mobile app, for example, the number of installs you secured, and then potentially the number, the amount of revenue that came through, and we can track that fully through the lifecycle and all the way down funnel. Organic, I think, is a great model to be tracking as well. We do a lot with what we call deep linking with our company, which allows you to deep link directly into an app or any location for that matter. But that organic traffic can be handled via sharing, via referrals, via social channels as well. So how are you able to look at metrics on that as well? So how are you driving engagement? How are you driving indirect engagement? And then tracking that down funnel. So it's all about setting that baseline or that benchmark initially, and then stacking that on top of that, depending on the types of campaigns you're looking to run. Awesome. Thank you for that. Alex, how about yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm with you on the sharing. I think, you know, people ask me what metric do I look for? And I look at, you know, if you share this with 10 people, will at least one of them share this, Um, especially when it comes to content marketing, because that, you know, I always say that we call it the internet because it's an internet. And so it's really important to go with the grooves of how this network works. And it works by people sharing content, by people sharing those links. So I definitely think that's super important. And the other thing I say too is you know i'm really big on not just posting to post not just you know producing content because that that's what some you know data report said to do but designing the content to be super strategic and creating at least 3 positive impressions on mm. your audience because it's not really about making a million different impressions it's about making a few consistent ones that are positive because all it takes is 3 positive impressions for your audience to start it, interpreting you as a brand as valuable and they also interpret a pattern and patterns establish trust again mm when i was saying about the flip flop it's just like life right <laughs> you can't trust anything you can't trust anyone who's flip flopping you need to see that the person or the brand is continually you know repeating positive impressions so that you feel like there's a pattern in which you can invest your money and literally as a as a customer so that's my advice on that that's cool
0: you know i want to talk a little bit about networks you know so talk to the audience about you know understanding how to build networks you all clearly have good strong Networks. How how did you set off, like, sort of starting to establish that? And let's start with you, Alex, on that. How did how did you understand how to build a a great, solid network?
1: Yeah. Well, I will say, when I first got started, I would hear people talk about networks, and my ears would kind of, you know, die down, (laughs) and I'd be like, "Eh, "Do I really need that? How much do I really need to put time into that?" But I can tell you now, after eight years of going through everything that it takes to do what I do that it is the single most important part of the mitigation of the risk in my job. So what I mean is that when I sold my company, it was at its peak. It was making more than ever. I had no reason to go. It was a huge risk to leave. But what gave me the confidence to leave is that I had enough of a powerful network that I knew if I needed to raise, I could raise. I knew if I wanted to start a new thing, I had... foundation to start a new thing. So in most people's eyes, it looked like I was leaving, you know, Treasure Island. But to me, I felt like I was going on to an even bigger Treasure Island Mm. because of the network. So I'm saying all that to say, whoever might have closed their ears and said, oh, networking, that sounds, you know, hard. That sounds difficult. It's not really hard and difficult. What it is is it takes a while. It takes a long time because if you're networking across, as Eseray likes to say, then it takes a while for people to flourish to a point that you realize you're in a powerful network. People have to. It takes years for everyone else to develop just as much as you do. But once that's grown, you don't really have to do that much work. (laughs) So I say. Start to get to know interesting people now. Be open to what people are talking about, even if it has nothing to do with what you're doing. Sometimes that's even better because it's nice to have people in your network who, you know, or maybe are in real estate or maybe in something else that you can call when you, when you need a favor, when you have a question. And just let the meat marinate. Let the, let the stew sit there because after it's established, you know, you have people you can rely on. I'm hungry wow. now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, how did you start building your great network?
2: Yeah, so similar to Alex, it's an interesting kind of perspective because I will say that networks evolved over the course of my career at different stages, right? I would say that early in my career, I I was a little questionable about the effectiveness of networks and whether or not it was something I wanted to do because I wasn't sure if it was an authentic connection, right? You're, you're so... Early stage in your career and you're wondering, okay, am I trying to get something? Is this person trying to get something from me? That kind of thing. And then as you evolve in your career, you realize it is about, you know, those connections that might be secondhand or third hand that you're going to need to rely on to find out new opportunities, to grow business, to just kind of pursue if you're looking at making a career change. So, you know, if I was to step back into my early part of my career and say, hey, you know, this is why this is important. What I would kind of recommend is go and pursue the things that you're super interested in, whether it's professional organizations, events like this that are obviously, you know, in some capacity free for people to participate in, jump into those Q&A sessions, jump into those forums, you know, ask those questions, learn, you know, be voracious for knowledge, you know, because over time, that knowledge turns into wisdom. And then there's someone that is willing to transfer that down to someone who wants to kind of learn as well. So you know, don't be afraid to look for mentors. I think that's a part of networking as well as finding someone further on in their career. And I think it's just a balance between, you know, understanding that, you know, if you do have a kind of clear path, or if you're still figuring things out, being comfortable putting yourself out there. and, And even though myself, you know, I'll speak for myself, but having had exposure to tech, I have a number of friends that did not. And the first thing I was always, Excited to do was to bring them into the fold as well. So people are willing to share this knowledge, and I think again, this is a really important time for you know Black folks to really enter this space because not only are organizations looking to expand their rosters, but I think people are willing to kind of make those referrals and expand their networks in this capacity to diversify the companies as well. I just
1: wanted to quickly add to yeah. that. Um, one of my favorite things I like to say is that I knew Blavity when it was a T-shirt like it was just a t-shirt mm-hmm. it was like an idea and probably a pitch deck and that just goes to show that whatever t-shirt is in your network right now it might turn into something it might not but the point is there's value in getting proximity to it because we're in tech like these all it takes is an idea right like we're used to seeing something go from a pitch deck to a billion dollar company within a few years so don't play the fool, be around the folks, be, you know, make friends. And again, be open-minded. Not everything is going to, not every relationship you spark is going to be valuable or useful, but the, you know, the ones who do, they all trickle down and they all have, uh, you know, obviously an exponential effect.
0: That's great. You no, know, uh, excellent insights on how to build networks, what you've experienced personally and how you've applied that. And also good advice for anyone entering sort of the field of marketing. And I, I want to take that a, another step further. If we, if we uh, rewound a little bit and we thought about some of our earlier days in our career. I'll start with you, Robert. Like, what other advice would you have for any folks entering, entering the space and entering the field?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, tech is interesting, right? Especially, and I'm going to speak specifically about coming from non-technical backgrounds. I think there is clearly a need for more engineers, for, you know, people who code. You know, product managers, you know, across the board. But I also want to, you know, given my path, I also want to influence people in non-technical roles to also pursue tech for just that reason. Because there are ways for you to enter this space to to take advantage of the hyper growth, if that's what interests you, into the innovation and the rapid kind of pace of product development, or you know, just the way the companies grow. If you're interested in VC and fundraising, things like that. Like there's, there are all these opportunities that are available to you that I think touch so many points, right, from marketing to operations to HR. You know, I grew up in a a time and a period where you either went to law school, medical school, or business school, or Wall Mm -hmm. Street, for example. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of really changed, right? And, you know, I I kind of entered tech in an an era shortly after its inception, but before the dot-com bubble. And I remember that people in my network were kind of really questioning whether or not tech was a viable thing. And here we are, you know, 20 years later. And so, you know, I think it's here. It's not going anywhere. But I want to inspire people to, you know, know that their ideas are relevant. So piggybacking on something Alex said, it can start in infancy, you know, and there will be a new platform that comes up, right? I mean, we had PCs, we had, you know, laptops, we have phones. So what's going to be next? Is it going to be AR and VR? Is it going to be voice-assisted, you know, devices? Will we have a return to Google Glasses or some kind of AR-related glass type of thing or engagements, you know, that are expanding on Pelotons and mirrors and things like that? I look forward to those kind of opportunities. And I want to see, you know, someone coming to the, from, you know, the Blackest Tech Conference or listening to the Minority Report podcast come up with that next idea. So just put yourself out there, you know, Amen. as far as what the next opportunity is.
0: That's awesome. Alex, how about you? What kind of advice would you pass on to somebody a little oh, bit newer and trying to find their way, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, my advice is get the ugly years out the way. Get the <laughs> ugly years out the way. When I say ugly, I'm talking about the broke years. I'm talking about the the years where you're a beginner and everything you do humbles you with Preach. disgust because you don't know Preach. any you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Because one of the things that I think I'm most proud of is that I got started early and I messed up early. And again, I just, I got the ugly years out of the way. A lot of us don't want to pursue what we do because we think by waiting, we're going to prevent the ugly years. It's on the way. You just have to go through it. <laughs> yeah. And you'll be better for it. It makes the story even, you know, it makes the story greater. It's how you build the character. It's how you build the resiliency because, you know, thinking about it feels really good. But unless you can fall in love with doing it, it's just, it's not going to happen. So I, I always quote Beyonce. She says, people don't like to rehearse because it humbles you. And it just goes to show it takes, it rehearsal is humbling because you have to sit through messing up over and over and over again. But that's how you get the perfect performance. So that's all I'll say.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Robert. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been a great, great time. And I know that a lot of the audience will want to stay in touch. What are one or two ways that they can find you and stay in touch with you? Let's start with you, Alex.
1: Yeah, so for all the content creators listening, I actually have a free masterclass where I talk about ways to get uh, paid opportunities consistently. And you can find that at the bit.ly slash Alex Wolf masterclass. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm just Alex Wolf on Instagram. But I'm going to encourage you to sign up for my email list because power to distribution. My email list is at alexwolfco co slash newsletter.
0: Excellent. Robert, how can people find you and stay in touch with you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and things like that. But I think uh, in this context, you know, the most helpful thing is on uh, LinkedIn. And so I'm just linkedin.com slash robert w collins i reach out you know i was, uh, kind of started speaking a little more often folks have been reaching out so happy to help a lending hand give advice recommendations things like that and you know I, I think there's this balance around you know junior roles mid-level career roles things like that you know if there are opportunities at my company or companies in my space in mobile marketing just in the mobile ecosystem overall happy to lend a helping hand and recommendations on uh, how to get started there as well
0: excellent Well, thank you for this amazing conference. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all guests for your insights. And uh, back to you.